Hello, everyone out there in podcast world. I hope you're having a great day. You're listening to or watching us live on Service Business Mastery Podcast. I'm your host, Church Blissett. Today, we have Claire Chandler um, on the podcast, and we're going to talk about uh, scaling your business and how businesses a lot of times will fail during that process of, of scaling. And um, we're going to talk about, we're actually going to use us as an example. We had some success over the summer and uh, we're going to talk about the pain points that we've encountered and some of the ways that we probably could have avoided those. So I'm super excited and, and I'm excited to learn more and, and everything uh, from you. And uh, welcome to the show today. Thanks, Tersh. It's great to be here. Cool. So before we get started, uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to find out and share uh, if, if I already know, I like to share with everybody that's listening, uh, your background and what makes you an expert and being able to come on uh, to the show and, and share with everybody else. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so I'm a uh, survivor of uh, corporate America. So I spent uh, close to 20 years um, in corporate roles, everything from communications, uh, customer relations. And then I uh, ended up, as I like to say, sneaking into the side door of human resources um, uh, several years into my corporate tenure, uh, they were looking for a, a head of training and development. So I took that job, um, really fell in love with, um, you know, the, the being part of and being kind of on the leading edge of helping employees and leadership, um, you know, from the executive uh, team all the way down to the front line, um, individual contributors grow, uh, increase their contributions to the company. Um, you know, learn more about, you know, them, themselves, their strengths and how they can contribute, um, you know, in, in meaningful ways. And I left corporate in 2011. Um, by that time, I had moved into a, a VP of HR uh, divisional role, um, which was great. And it stretched me, but it really kind of reinforced that uh, it was taking me farther away from that whole talent, leadership development, executive coaching focus that I had had. So I took a leap of faith. Uh, I left corporate, you know, the corporate bubble kind of went out on my own in 2011 and um, really dabbled in a bunch of different areas for the first two years uh, until I established my footing and my niche. Um, and so I formed my company, Talent Boost, in 2013 um, and focused in on and continue to focus in on helping businesses that are looking to grow and to scale uh, and working from the top down with the leadership on doing that in more effective ways so that they can, uh, you know, with fewer growing pains, fewer performance bottlenecks that invariably come up as you grow. So with that being said, did, like, how did you get into that part of the niche? Like, were you seeing a lot of companies like um, becoming a um, part of their own problem? Like, is that how you figured out that niche was there because everybody loves to hear about the success stories of, of scaling your business, but rarely do you actually think about how painful it is to go from where you're at to where like you see everyone else as you consider quote unquote successful. Yeah. How, and, how it's, you, and it's annoying, right? That? It's yeah, it's, uh, it, it's annoying when you're the when you're the founder of a company and you see others who do it with such relative ease. Right. <laughs> um, and it's so rare, right? Like the, the percentage of companies and leaders that nail it, that hit it out of the park, 
um, that percentage is so low. And yet those are the ones that we hear about. We don't hear about the ones that, you know, go through the hard scrabble times and, you know, and stumble and, and trip up and, and all of that. Um, but the overwhelming majority of business founders stumble and a lot of them do fail. And um, what I have observed over um, my years, uh, you know, doing this consulting business um, is that they often become victims of their own success, right? So um, founders and business owners, especially, um, you know, usually start out with this great idea and they've got this ambition to build a business around themselves. And that's typically what happens, right? The company at its start is an expression of the personality of its founder or founders. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's wonderful in the beginning, but then they start to get a couple of clients and then they realize that, you know, to, to execute with excellence, they can't do everything themselves. So now they have to add a team. Well, the more people they add around them, the more it tends to or threatens to dilute their, their effectiveness, their personality, their ability to deliver, you know, white glove, white glove service, et cetera. Um, and so all of a sudden they land the whale, right? Um, and I want to dig into your experience because it sounds like that's what your May of 2020 was like. Right. But as soon as you land like this, this big deal, because people have started to hear about you, you've got a great reputation in the market. People are referring them, you know, other clients to you. And now all of a sudden you're like, holy cow, like we've got all this business and I don't think we're, you know, we've got the right people, the right structure, the right leadership, the right, you know, yeah. processes, whatever. Um, to, to keep delivering at a high level. And that's kind of the, you know, I'll call it the holy cow moment um, when I tend to cross paths with those businesses to say, okay, let's, you know, let's make sure that we do everything possible to ensure your, your success because, you, you know, you've done some brilliant, amazing things that allowed you to have this kind of success and bring in this new work. But let's make sure that that does not trip you up. Yeah, so... For anybody that's listening or watching that uh, doesn't know already, um, in the month of um, May, we grew like 256%. And that's not even our busy season. And it was a culmination of a lot of different variables. It was like the perfect storm, the perfect whirlpool of uh, storms. <laughs> I like to throw that in there. And by the way, I don't think we have talked about this yet. Uh, you have a book that's called uh, The Whirlpool Effect. Uh, yeah, that was a nice segue. <laughs> <laughs> but it, with, with us, it was very much, we've developed these relationships with, with business owners over the years. And we weren't shut down like you were. So you're in New Jersey, the New Jersey, New York area, like y'all were shut down, shut down. We were shut down like, um, more like Sunday afternoon here, other than Chick-fil-A was (laughs) open still. Uh, so we had, uh, all of our restaurants were closed, but our drive-through restaurants and fast food joints, they were all still open. Uh, and, we had developed relationships with a lot of the fast food franchises um, just over the years. And, and it wasn't that we had maintenance agreements with any of them. We just, and they had an emergency, they would come and call us and, you know, we would go do this. Well, then things just took off and we, we just got all of these franchises all at once. And they all like, they really liked our services 
and everything. And so things just blew up in that month. And, you know, we, it wasn't by mistake either. We were, we were outbounding like crazy and we were trying to like, we didn't want to be a statistic of, of the, the, um, the virus and the pandemic and everything. So then, uh, like you said, we, the people that got us there aren't the people that got us out of May uh, even. So we had to transition that effect and we had to look at different, our, our next org chart up and see what roles need to go where and, and everything else. But we made it through, but we also, like you were getting at before, the business, I tried my best to make sure that the business was not built around me or my wife, Julie. We both are extremely active in the business. Um, because I see, especially in, in the trades in the HVAC industry and, and that type of stuff and, and plumbing that you get a service tech that gets out of a van and becomes a, the owner. And first off, they're two completely different roles. They're very opposite from each other and they look very different from each other. But if you, you, you get in there and even once you start hiring service techs or service experts, you can get, it can still be ego driven. And because everybody's calling you for tech support or they're calling you like, what do I fix here? And you know, it's irritating. Right. But at the same time, it's very much an ego thing. Like, Hey, this business would not run without me. Like they have to call me. And then you can't scale a business like that. You have to put those other people in place that are going to make, make things roll. Uh, and, and make things uh, operate more smoothly. And thankfully, we were able to um, see that before everything got bad. Um, because it, like you said, it can get bad really fast after, you know, you have that holy cow moment. And uh, we're thankful that 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 didn't happen with us uh, this summer, but it very well could have. Um, but can you tell us kind of transition into that into your book and what that is before we go any further yeah so um and and just to touch on a thought before i before i lose the thread on what you just said you know i think one of the one of the things is as you as you grow learning to um let go a little bit of the 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 delivery side the service delivery side because you can't do everything yourself right Mm -hmm. Um, but that also requires that the people that you delegate to the people that you hire, the team that you, you know, you build around, uh, around yourself, um, truly act as extensions of you and stewards of the brand that you've built. It yeah. doesn't mean they're going to do everything exactly the way that you do, but they are going to move in the direction that you want them to. And you're, and you're smiling because it's, it's hard, right? That's yeah. the biggest part. That's hard. It's like, well, in the time it takes to explain to them how I would do it, I could have just gone and done it, exactly. right? <laughs> but it's the same concept as, you know, you, you, give, you give the guy a fish, you feed him for a day, you teach him how, you know, to fish or what the outcome is or, or why it's yeah. important to learn, right? And that's how you sustain. Um, so, you know, the, the whirlpool effect, uh, the, the book that I wrote and the concept it's built around is, is all about that, that concept of sustaining um, success and sustaining leadership. And, um, you know, I, I, uh, that was not the original title of the book. And I, I hadn't come up with a title yet, but I was looking for an analogy that would, that would help me explain or illustrate what real leadership looks like. Um, because, you know, you, you talked about how leadership can be, especially at the founder level, so ego driven, right? Yep. 
And, you know, you could make the argument that you're only going to get so far as a leader without having some measure of, of ego. Um, but you also have to have some capacity for, um, you know, for taking feedback, taking it constructively, learning and, and, and growing. If you don't have that capacity, um, (laughs) if you are impenetrable to, you know, to sort of enhancing and evolving, right? Right. Your business is ultimately going to die. Um, so the concept of the whirlpool effect, the, the analogy of the whirlpool effect came from a childhood memory, um, of, so I, I'm in New Jersey, I'm a lifelong Jersey girl, grew up here and, um, the summers are very hot and, you know, it, it always ended up that the most popular kid on the block was the one with the swimming pool in the backyard. Yeah. And so, you know, all the neighborhood kids would congregate there and we would, you know, have a great time. And and this was even before like, you know, the video games started to become super popular. Like kids back then spent mm-hmm. all their waking hours outside playing, right? Oh yeah. Um until even the streetlights came on and the parents started calling from the stoop uh-huh. going, uh, you're late for dinner, get in here, you right. So anyway, so you know, we'd we'd be in the pool, we'd be splashed around, whatever. And at some point, one of us would just say whirlpool. And as kids, we knew what that meant. We immediately just started following each other in a circle. And after a couple of rotations, we could pick up our feet and be carried along with the current. And that concept, you know, the more I thought about it, I'm like, that was such a great memory. And it was such a fun time. And it was such a simple concept. But that's what real leadership looks like. A leader has a very simple message that you know the the people around him or her immediately understand what that looks like why that's fun right how they can contribute to it and they enthusiastically do that um and i think you know you you i I keep coming back to your description of leadership as ego driven Mm -hmm. i think that's where the egos of founders get in the way of their own growth you asked you know or, or you even you know kind of surmised quite rightly that a lot of growing companies do get in their own way. Mm-hmm. Um, they think everything has to be done by them. They think everything has to look exactly the way you would handle it or you would express it or, or what have you. Um, and it's less about the style and it's more about the mission, right? And why that matters. If, if you can figure out what your mission is and why that's important, not just to you, but to the people that you're serving, you're like 80% of the way to building a very successful, sustainable business. Huh? So I was going to ask a question, but you're, you're about answered it there. And that's, uh, how, how do we do that? Is it focus on the mission or focus on the end results, not the day-to-day grind? Because we like, I am the furthest from a micromanager there is like, I will watch you fail. Like I will, like I could just stick my hand out and help you and, and no, I'm going to watch you just sink. And it's a downfall that I've been working on. My wife tells me about it. Like we, like, because I was micromanaged my entire career, it was, it's like the biggest off-putting thing in the world. And some people, thankfully that we brought on the team, they are very self-reliant and they can, they're good to go. But I've also failed as a leader because I've hired people who needed to be micromanaged and I just like, nope, boom, and watched them fail. Uh, and, and, and then, so like I, I'm trying to work on that. 
but I feel like my thought process is that if I have to, if I don't have a clear mission result laid out there, like if, if our end goal isn't laid out there, it's very hard for someone who is even self-reliant to become like to, to know where to go. And yep. like if, if they come to a crossroads and they know the end results, they know what we expect. We, they understand our core values. They understand if you're in this situation, integrity first, safety first, you know, um, all for one, one for all. Like if they understand these things, then that helps that, that thought process of going, um, okay, so I know that I, I, church wouldn't want us to do this. Uh, it's integrity first. Yes, this is the easiest way to do it, but it's just the right way to do it. And then, you know, we are known for providing that, that next level service. And um, if I cut this corner and somebody caught me, you know, would that, you know, what would, what would they think about that? I feel like the guys and gals on our team that are successful and have had success kind of really grasp the mission at hand versus uh, completing a daily task. Uh, I pride ourselves, ego again, uh, on the fact that we don't have time card punchers on our team. Like everybody's part of the mission uh, or we try to make sure when we bring people on that they're part of the mission. Um, is there another way of doing that? Because for one, that's very time consuming. Uh, it seems repetitive and I'm as much as I'm not a micromanager, I'm also not a repeater. And so it's like, I'll, I'll record videos. That's kind of how I've gotten, you know, thankfully with the podcast, I've gotten decent with recording myself. And so like, uh, I'll record a video and say, Hey, watch this video versus me. We're constantly repeating things. Is there something else that I could be doing personally uh, so that I'm not running into the problem of like, like what we're describing here um, with people not knowing kind of the, the mission or whatever? Yeah, absolutely. So um, it, it, it's interesting because even in your, your hand gestures, when you were talking about some of your values, like integrity first and safety first and, you know, your, your employees who get it have your voice in their head, like Tersh wouldn't want us to do it that way. Um, those, are, those are wonderful um, kind of guideposts along the way, right? The, the purpose of having values that you actually live and the people embrace and demonstrate is to keep them on the right path toward the mission, right? Um, but it's kind of like walking down a sidewalk. It's like, all right, everybody knows, you know, you put one foot in front of the other and you just keep walking. But if you just keep your head down to avoid the cracks or avoid, you know, a stick in the road or whatever, eventually, if you don't pick up your head now and then to see where you're going, you're either going to go off course or you're going to run into a bush, a wall, a pedestrian, you know, whatever. Um, so it's always important to kind of look at that long term. And at the start of what you just took us through, um, you nailed that. You said, you know, it, is, it, is it a matter of looking, having a longer view versus the, the day-to-day decisions? Um, as the leader, there's always a balance that's required, right? You don't want to be a micromanager. I have, you know, I, I have interviewed thousands of people um, as potential candidates for, you know, back in my corporate days and even for some clients. And I have yet to have a candidate when I say, what is the, the management style that you thrive under the most? 
I have yet to have a candidate say, I really am looking for somebody who's like watching over my shoulder and telling me every single thing I have to do, right? Nobody likes a micromanager. Um, But they do want direction. They do want, um, they want to have the freedom to take risks and they want to know that you've got some tolerance for failure within reason, right? So you said, is there something else you could be doing? Um, I think it's wonderful that you're not a micromanager, but I would, I would try to stop yourself short from watching them fail unless part of your you know, process is I'm going to watch them stumble, not so much fail because it's going to impact a customer, but they're going to stumble. And then I'm going to pull them back and say, okay, let's kind of play that back and see, you know, how you could have done things differently and not from a finding fault, not from a pointing out flaws, but getting them into the habit of, you know, that self-evaluation that's, that's so important. It's funny Um, that you say that because uh, we have a rule that um, you, you won't get fired. You won't get reprimanded uh, for any mistakes that you make up to $500 per day. So you can make a $500 mistake and I won't, you won't hear from me. Uh, How many employees do you have? Because I want to do some quick math on that. <laughs> uh, yeah, it could get expensive and, and rarely <laughs> do they. But it also goes to the, to the culture thing too. Like you can give away $500 worth of stuff, product, or um, we ask people like little random things like under 20 bucks. What's, what, what could you not live without that's under $20? Like when we're mm. doing the actual phone call of uh, scheduling a service call and they'll just say something like a, a Snickers bar or a taco and then a service expert can see that and they can sh- they show up to the door with a with a Snickers bar and they're like I said that in passing conversation you know th- three visits ago I completely forgot about that conversation but stuff like that and and they can do wow services they can pr- you know change a light bulb and not charge someone for it they'll write it down and you know they can do up to like $500 a day and they won't hear from me um, but one thing that any time that we struggle and I completely forgot that I do this, but I do it every time. And, and it's, uh, my lead guy, he, I think, I feel like he gets the most out of it, but I really, honestly, I ask them all and, and I hope they all get something out of it. And it's, it becomes a joke most of the time, but I always ask, did you learn something? Like, did, did we learn something out of this conversation? Do we learn something out of, you know, us, this struggle, this particular struggle, or the new thing that we haven't seen before, uh, and they're like, "Yeah, we learned something." Or and, and then, it, I mean, it truly becomes a, a a laughing thing, and and we can just laugh off whatever um, mistake that we made. Or uh, it, and sometimes when I see, I, I watch them fail, and I have in the past let them fail, fail, and that obviously costs tens of thousands of dollars if somebody quits or gets fired because of that uh, and I have to hire someone to replace them. Uh, But now it's more like I'll let them struggle while I'm on the other end of the phone. And then at the end of the 30 or 45 minute conversation that really should have been a five minute conversation if I just told them the answer. uh, Then we have that. Do we learn anything throughout this conversation? Do we learn anything throughout this experience? And I hope that they do. Rarely are we getting multiple phone calls for the same scenario. Uh, and when we do, it's like we're having an off day and we can kind of have that conversation. Uh, but that, I think that's one of the biggest things that I picked up even this year and is asking that, you know, and then uh, Julie, my wife, she's a nurse, like up until this year when she came on board with us, she was a nurse full time. And that's when she teaches her uh, nursing people that, 
you know, to, to, and she constantly is on me about this too. And, and I don't do it as good as I should or at, at all, hardly, but she's the one that does this, but you know, she teaches and then has them teach back to her to make sure that they understood what they're, they're saying, what, what, instead of just going, uh-huh, I get it. Yeah. And they have no, like it's go right over their head. Um, whereas, um, yeah, I don't, I don't want to go down that, you know, rabbit trail there, but yeah, I just, that, that failing with kind of, empathy i guess maybe that's yeah. the best way to say it like that's a great way to say it and, and letting them fail but not being a, a screamer at them because they're failing type of scenario and and too, you know too often companies um send that mixed message right they say we have a high tolerance for failure we want you to take risks we want yeah. you to innovate you know whatever and then the minute that you screw something up they drop the hammer and it's like, then, you know, your, your promise of what this culture is going to be all about is, is not, you know, delivered. And that's where you see turnover. That's where you see your best employees leave and your worst employees stay and infect everybody else. Um, Speaking about your, your, uh, your wife um, being a nurse who, you know, in, in my view, they are the frontline heroes right now. Um, Always were, but especially this year. So thank, please thank her for her service. Um, but, you know, it reminds me of um, there was a CEO I was talking to uh, a, a while back and he's in the, um, you know, the, the pharmaceutical space and he went to medical school and he said, you know, the, the mantra in medical school was um, see one, do one, teach one. That's it. And yeah. so, that's yeah. The whole thing okay. I was thinking of when, when I was saying yeah, that. that's what, <laughs> what she, she said, she yeah. says that all the time. I'm supposed to know this. Yeah. See one, do one, teach one. And it's, and it's a great, you know, and that's, and that's when you're talking about like, you know, operating on people and stuff, you know, and I know the one is kind of a loose term, right? It's not, okay, watch it once, do it once. Now teach somebody else how to cut somebody open. But it's a, it is a very, um, I think valuable concept for leadership, right? Where you, you bring people on, you show them the right way to do things. You allow them the, the space and the capacity and the flexibility to do it in their own way. Um, give them the feedback, do that self-evaluation, get them into that constructive habit, right? We all have bad habits. And every time you hear the word habit, you immediately go to the negative. You say, well, I have a, a smoking habit or this habit or that habit, right? Um, but ha- you know, we can, we can wire ourselves and our behaviors to be positive and constructive. And one of the best habits is that self-reflection and self-awareness. Um, so I think, I think you were very much on the right track in terms of giving your folks the freedom, the flexibility, and the permission to stumble a little bit and short of failure, that's going to impact a customer, um, because it's only in taking risks that we grow, right? Mm -hmm. You're not going to, you're not going to grow as a business, as a leader, um, you know, and your employees are not going to grow if they are not allowed to take risks, but getting them into that habit of, um, you know, that self-evaluation. And I always say that to, to managers that I coach about, um, oh, you know, it's performance management, uh, performance review time, and I've got to give some negative feedback. You know what? The, the, the easiest way to do that, especially if it's going to be a potentially difficult conversation, is let them talk first. Um, you know, ask them, let's kind of go through the conversation you just had on the phone or the service call that you were just on, you know, that I observed. It's it's less important that I point out to you what you did and did not do correctly, right? Yeah. It's more important that you can review that and get into that habit of saying, 
if I had that to do over, this is how I would have started the, the, the exchange, or this is how I would have executed on that, or this is the way I would have you know, uh, spoken to that customer. The more you can get your, your employees to acknowledge before you have to mm -hmm. what they could have done differently, now that switches you into a mode of being able to agree with them. And we all want people to validate us, right? Yeah. So if you can get your employee to go, you know what, looking back on it, I should have done this, or I wish I had done that, or I, you know, I would not have done X, Y, Z. Then you can say, you know what, I agree with you. That's a, that's a great observation. So let's work on that for next time. So that's a much more positive way of giving that feedback. Yeah, I like that. And I'm thinking in our business, so we debrief after every single service call, after every, they leave somebody's house or somebody's business that we debrief. Would it be safe or would it become a blah norm if I, I asked every single time or the dispatcher asked, what would you do differently on the service call? Um, I think over time that could get a little bit routine. Yeah. Um, if you've never done it that way, it's certainly a great kind of bridge to what I would recommend longer term, which is, okay, what went right? Um, what might you have done differently? And how can we make the next, um, you know, exchange or service delivery or phone conversation or, or, you know, whatever it is, even more amazing for the customer, right? Because without yeah. your customers, you don't have a business. A lot of people say, well, without our employees, we don't have a business. You started hiring employees because your customer demand went up. So if you don't take care of your customer, right, feed your customer, nourish your customer, um, deliver the service to the highest level you can um, in ways that you would do yourself, right? If you, if you, could, clone, if you could clone yourself, um, then, you know, your customers are just going to go somewhere else. Yeah, well, right, right. <laughs> only the best parts of yourself, right? <laughs> because I have a huge ego, but I also very much recognize that I have some major, major areas that I have to work on too. But you know what? I, I love the fact that you, you are so able to let go because being a founder of a business and a business owner, um, you know, I'm an entrepreneur myself. I know a fellow control freak when I see one. I mean, you have to be a control freak when yeah. you're an entrepreneur or a founder. Um, it's just, it's the nature of the beast. But the fact that you've been able to let go to some extent, um, you know, and, and I think where you've sort of caught yourself that you overcorrected was, um, you know, letting people stumble to the point of failure. You want them to, to take risks, um, but you also want them to understand in what direction you want them to take risks. Mm -hmm. Somebody said to me earlier this week, the phrase, um, fail forward. You yeah. do want people to fail forward, right? Not set your business back, not set themselves back. Mm -hmm. um, if they lose confidence in their ability to delight your customers and deliver the service that reinforces your brand, then you've, you've kind of, you know, damaged their ability to bring you closer to your mission. So, you know, and that's different from coddling them, just telling them what they want to hear, stroking their ego. Mm -hmm. You don't strike me as somebody who surrounds yourself with a bunch of yes men, um, nope. <laughs> right? E even, though, even though you're ego driven, that's fine. But yeah. you, you know, you want to, you want to know that the people in your team are completely on board with what your mission is and why it matters. And like I said before, if, if you can't get those two things nailed, at least in your mind, you're 80% of the way there. And then it's a matter of making sure that everybody on your team 
understands that and that your customers understand that too. One of the things you asked me before was, um, is there something else you could be doing, you know, in terms of how you communicate? I love the fact that you send out videos. Um, the, the key is always going to be consistency. So, you know, I know that part of, part of your instinct is to say, I don't want to be repetitive. I don't like to repeat things. Um, you know, I'm, I'm like that with, you know, when I was a, when I was a people uh, leader, it was like, you can make mistakes, just don't repeat the mistakes, yeah. right? Like that's, yeah. you, again, fail forward, fall forward, right? Um, but, you know, being consistent in your message and continuing to reinforce your mission and why it matters, you know, the impact it has on customers. Um, every communication should tie back to that. Everybody on your team should see the connection between what they do, regardless of their role, and how it contributes to your mission, right? How their, how their spot in the swimming pool contributes Beautiful. to that whirlpool effect. Cool. I like how you brought that back. Thank you. <laughs> Cool. Is there anything else that you'd like to, uh, to share before we, we, uh, part ways here? Um, I, you know, I just, uh, I want to thank you again for the opportunity to, to, to chat with you, but I, you know, I just think, um, kudos to you that you had enough self-awareness that when you, um, started to really kind of double up your revenue in May, um, and congratulations on that, that as well, especially in the year of COVID, right? right. Um, that you had enough self-awareness to say, you know, to, to quote Marshall Goldsmith, what, what got us here is not going to get us there. And you probably made some, some mistakes as you grew and as you oh, yeah. evolved your, your leadership, of course. Um, but the fact that you acknowledged that and the fact that you made adjustments it is great. I think the, you know, the, the word to the wise in terms of businesses that are in that situation is don't assume you have all the answers. Um, you know, certainly take that opportunity, you know, not to become a victim of your success, but to become a learner from your success. Right. So we're, we're, you know, we've, we've doubled our size or we've tripled our revenue or we just landed this huge account. Let's take one step back before we just all hands on deck, dive in, roll up your sleeves and get it done take that one step back and say, are we structured, functioning, staffed, resourced, and of the right mindset to move forward and deliver this with the same or better level of quality than, than we've always done and people have come to rely upon? And if the answer is anything but a hell yeah, then raise your hand and get some help. And that's not a shameless plug for me. Like there's, there are people in your existing network um, you know, that, that absolutely can help you see beyond your own forest. Um, don't ever just assume, well, I'm the leader, so I've got to have everything figured out. Mm -hmm. Your, your growth should be an opportunity for you to reinvest in your business's future and in your, your status as a leader. So look for those opportunities and absolutely take advantage of those to learn and to move forward. Sweet. Thank you. Where can we connect with you and, and learn more and, and grow? Uh, you can, and your audience can reach out to me at clairechandler.net. That's my website. Uh, there's a lot of free goodies on there on the resources page. Um, so, you know, you can grab those and immediately apply them to your business. And uh, there's a bunch of ways that you can uh, contact me and set up time for a free call if you'd like. Sweet. Thank you so much. Thank you again for coming on the show. It was a pleasure. Thanks. Yeah, it's been great. 
So if you are watching or listening to this, uh, please don't hesitate to reach out. Obviously, based on this conversation, she's full of tons of knowledge and it's uh, I'm super excited to hear feedback from everybody who, who does reach out and and uh, develops more of a relationship. Uh, if you have any questions for me, as always, Tersh at serviceemperor.com. Uh, that's my the email that comes to my phone and uh, connect if we're not connected on Facebook or, or Instagram or LinkedIn or, you know, all those platforms where I'm there. But with that being said, I hope you have a wonderful day and we'll talk again next week on the Service Business Mastery Podcast, the podcast focused on service business owners, managers, and technicians who are considering becoming business owners themselves. Have a wonderful day. Mm-hmm.